Hi, I'm Evan Martin, and I'm excited to introduce my co-host, Daniel Bianchini. Welcome, Daniel. How are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, just hanging out here in Brooklyn. It's a, it's a pretty overcast day, especially after this weekend. I was in Vermont and uh, lovely weather, so excited oh, for the week nice. ahead. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well as well. Overcast here, uh, especially coming back from um, Palm Springs and Phoenix and being in 100 plus degree weather to something more in the 50s right now, I think it is. Yeah, 57. <laughs> so a little cold here in Portland, Oregon. For sure. No, and that I think we always talk about weather because we're trapped inside during the workday and it's like so eager to get outside and uh, take in what we got around us. So true. Uh, that'll go into a later segment for us. So welcome everybody to the Wilshire IT RevCast. Um, I'm Evan Martin and this is Daniel Binkini. This is our first episode, so bear with us as we work out some kinks throughout the day. Um, we are dividing ourselves into some little segments for you. Um, so our first one is just us talking with you and getting to know. Um, we're excited to have everybody listening in. Yeah, this, this should be fun. Uh, make sure to smile, give us feedback. Uh, let's just jump right into our guest and hot topic segment. Yeah, so since it's our first episode, we decided not to have a guest and work out our own kinks. Uh, so we are going to actually talk when just get to know each other and have you guys get to know us. But this normal segment is going to be called Hot Topics. To make it a little fun for each of us, we're going to ask four questions about our professional background and one fun question about who we are. All right, so let's jump in and talk about current Hot Topics. Um, do you want to go first asking the question? Or you want me to? You go ahead. All right. When starting your career, did you have healthcare IT or revenue cycle even in your thoughts or path? That's a fun question. So when I first started in the industry, I was right out of college, uh, just out of, and I was interviewing at Epic. I had no clue what I was interviewing for. Uh, it was the only place that would take an interview in, in February. I uh, did not have revenue cycle or healthcare IT on my radar. I thought I was going into finance or somewhere in that background. Um, but here I am almost a decade later, still working in uh, healthcare IT in the revenue cycle. It, it's been a twist and it's not always been one single path. I think there's been a little bit of variation in the day-to-day -day for what that looks like, but uh, it was not on my radar. What about you? Yeah. So for me, I grew up in healthcare. So I have a little bit of a different path. I started off washing dishes at a nursing home at the age of 14. Uh, so, and then kind of worked my way up into their medical records department because it had better weekend hours for me to like transcribe physician notes and orders into their system so that they could place medication orders to the pharmacy easier. Um, so that was kind of how I started my path um, and thought I would be in long-term care the rest of my life. My mom's a former chief nursing officer in long-term care. So it was kind of like the path I went down and I did about 13 years there. And then um, an opportunity came open at one of the hospitals here in Portland and jumped in um, as an analyst and kind of thought, oh, I'll be on the finance side and not really even thinking revenue cycle or any of that. So, um, and then Epic showed up and I ended up jumping over to revenue cycle pretty quickly into revenue integrity and charge master, which I already was doing some of, but I didn't realize that it was part of revenue, traditional revenue cycle management. Um, the organization I was working for at the time 
um, in that region, it was part of finance um, and not through um, any of the revenue cycle leadership. So a little bit different path, but still didn't think I would be in acute care or physician side of the world or even on a radar of Epic. That leads well into our second question. You've already <laughs> given us a flavor of what your career looks like. Um, but what other roles have you had in the healthcare IT or the revenue cycle since you've made that switch? Yeah, so I started off as a business analyst in nursing and finance and then um, moved into a manager over um, finance and ops. So in, in that role, I was over um, the local charge master for nursing services. So um, regionally, we were divided up into kind of different segments. Um, and then when Epic rolled around for the health system, Providence um, Health and Services at the time, they're now Providence St. Joseph's, I became a revenue integrity program manager, really developing the enterprise program, and then eventually worked my way into that director role. Um, for their enterprise, and then um, eventually moved over to patient financial services at another organization, managing pretty much 90% of the back end, a um, little bit of the front end, um, and then a little bit of mid revenue cycle as well. So, um, kind of a broadcast. I've never really been on IT. However, a lot of my functional duties had to interact heavily with IT. And then at Providence, they had a lot of community connect platform clients. So really had the opportunity to kind of have to partner with IT and roll out on their project schedules and be integrated in many of their aspects, including using ticketing management systems and stuff like that. So um, a little different, but yeah. How about you? Well, maybe the opposite of you. I started in IT working with Epic. So <laughs> I've, I've made the switch a little bit outside of IT instead of in the IT. So where I started again, like working as a, as a project manager, implementation manager at Epic, I had a little bit of variety there working in the revenue cycle and on the patient access side. Um, but where my switch was working domestically to internationally, I had an opportunity to go over to Singapore uh, and work on the implementation there, which I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a, a curse of that. But just the, when you're thinking about international healthcare, the way that the patient interacts when they get in the front door to, to the doctor, to their whole patient schedule, just flips the script and you have to think a little bit outside the box. Um, I, after wrapping up in Singapore, I was able to come back to the States and try to put my domestic hat back on and figure out how, how the revenue cycle works at a hospital here in Brooklyn. I was operating as the revenue cycle IT manager uh, for the health system here as we were going through a merger. Um, and now I'm over here at Wilshire doing, um, I'm working on a reporting project at the moment, but uh, gives me a little bit of a span of uh, where the line draws between IT and operations and uh, figuring out where I fit into that picture. Awesome. All right. So do you have any major mentors or heroes in our industry? Um, as I, I feel like I'm still sort of new. I've, I've had a, a couple of really interesting revenue cycle directors or leaders at the different hospitals I've worked at, though. One in particular, I remember it was my first project down in Louisiana, and I had, a, I had a really sharp revenue cycle director who just had their hands and uh, eye on every part of the industry. There was not a single thing that, that went by that they weren't thinking critically about um, and knew what other hospitals in the area were doing. Uh, it, it was as if they lived and breathed healthcare IT, healthcare uh, revenue cycle. Uh, instead of maybe <laughs> some of the some of the other things in life that we care about, like sports or uh, uh, culture, music, things like that. Um, 
that was that was really fun to at least in my first my first role ever out of college to see someone who really knew what they were talking about thought critically about it and also had like a, a knowledge of the history of like how this had evolved over 20 30 years and was able to explain that in like a really basic way to say like this is why we do this today so that, that gave me a little bit of a wow this is something that could be really fun uh as as i'm starting a career here there are people who have kind of trailblazed ahead and figured out what this looks like and maybe that could be me in a in a couple or many, many years. <laughs> what about you, Evan? Yeah, I mean, I've had kind of unusual mentors or industry heroes. So like a lot of, um, in my initial career, I, t- I reported a lot up through nursing leadership. So um, one comes to mind, her name is Marty Moore. She's an amazing uh, CNO um, speaker. She's actually an inventor and patent and all sorts of things, but she's always kept a kind of that not only clinical and financial hat, but always really kept a pulse on what's happening in um, regulatory requirements for billing and revenue cycle. And it was kind of my first real nursing leader outside of um, long-term care that really was engaged in wanting to know like, what's happening in the industry? Are we maximizing revenue? Are we maximizing um, opportunity to get payment to be able then to turn that back into innovation and things for patients and patient safety um, and really kept the patient at the forefront. So that's, it was really the first leader that kind of mentored me into being able to say, hey, even though you're not doing patient care, this is how your work impacts patient safety and patient and, and the patient. And that that really tied back a lot to me to be able to say, hey, I'm okay not being on clinical ops side, but being more in the background. Um, and then our very own Gretchen Case, uh, who's one of our, uh, as you know, um, one of our managing partners. Um, she and Hank really became big mentors for me in the last 10 years um, and actually is why I ended up at Wilshire. Um, but we'll save that for a future cast, maybe. <laughs> uh, but, you know, being an industry leader in revenue integrity, she she's somebody who I've always looked up to and really um, saw as like forward thinking, thinking outside of the box, questioning, but figuring out how to innovate and bring people together. So that's, those are like two just leaders or heroes right off the cuff for me that have really helped shape my, um, who I am as a leader today. But of course I have many, you know, like you probably many mentors that have really kind of, you go to say, Hey, what should I do here? Or should I make this move or, or what's the next leap for me? So, um, that's been really, really helpful. And has really helped me kind of leads me into the next question for you is um, what else have you engaged with in the industry? Cause that's really kind of mentorship has led me down different paths there. That's a great question. Um, this would be one where, <laughs> as I think about it, I'm not actually engaged elsewhere in the industry. And part of what like myself as uh, as an up and coming professional in this space, uh, I've been trying to get plugged in. Unfortunately with the last two years with COVID, um, it was a little bit difficult. Like I was looking around for conferences. I live here in New York City, uh, trying to figure out like what is it I could attend, what things could I would I go to. Things were virtual, and I felt like it was a little maybe maybe this is the wrong take, but I wanted to get to know people and meet people, and the the virtual opportunities to go and meet people just didn't really feel like it would connect in the same way. So one of my goals for um, maybe the rest of here, twenty twenty two, leading into twenty twenty three, is to try to figure out like what's going on in the in the area where kind of get plugged in. Because uh, I haven't really had that opportunity since maybe like 2018 before I was uh, before I'd gone to Singapore. And back then, I, I wasn't looking for that. 
Uh, but now as a, as a professional, as someone who's living in New York City and interested in this, it's something I want to get plugged in and get to know the community a little bit more. What about Thanks. you, Evan? Yeah, I, um, you know, like you, when I first started off, I didn't want, I wasn't really looking for that either. Um, but then I had a VP actually tell me, hey, you need to join this organization. That was after one of my former CFOs told me the same thing, like you need to join this organization. And I joined it when the CFO told me to, because it was part of my evaluation. But then it was kind of like, oh, what, you know, like how, like actually getting involved, involved in it really came down to that VP of revenue cycle pushing me. So I joined um, Healthcare Finance Management Association or HFMA, the Oregon chapter. And um, right out of the gate, I sent a message and said, hey, um, how do I get involved, you know, outside of just getting a magazine sent to me once a month and reading through that? And, you know, what is it all about? And they told me to come to a conference um, out here in Oregon, at, at, um, which happened to be their annual con- big, big conference of the year. They host four a year. And they're like, hey, we're going to put you on this committee as a co-chair right out of the gate. So I kind of just got thrown into it or voluntold. But it's been the best thing for me because it's really led to other opportunities. So I've been able to now speak at Epic. I've been able to speak at um, several HFMA conferences and now um, partnering with another organization um, on speaking at um, HIMS and AHAM and um, a few other other industry organizations. And then recently I joined NARI, which is the National Association of Revenue Integrity. Um, so that that's kind of a newer association, but they have some certifications and stuff. So we're, you know, trying, trying to be plugged in more and kind of where I like uh, to be and across the board, not just revenue cycle, but also IT or in, in those industry components. Um, it would be interesting to kind of find an actual IT IT that's focused on healthcare type of conference. But um, I think, you know, being plugged into revenue cycle, revenue cycle ends up being a lot of IT focused work anyways. So. And then for those of us in the chat that are looking up all those acronyms, there's <laughs> quite a few different organizations that you've that you've been plugged into and like been a part of um, any in particular that have had like an exciting trip for you that you've explored or gone on a visit for. Yeah. So HFMA, uh, they do a conference for their leadership group. Um, and each chapter sends a group of their distinguished uh, to it. Um, all, and they kind of pick all over the U.S. It's called LTC. Um, it's their leadership training um, conference. But I got the pleasure of going to New Orleans. I've never been before. Um, it happened to fall right on my birthday weekend. So we went a couple, took a couple day, extra days off and went early. Um, so got to explore the city and try amazing food and do different things there. Um, other work trips, not out, outside of those organizations, but just kind of work trips in general. Um, when I was at Providence, we traveled a ton. Um, Providence Health and Services covers from California all the way to Alaska, Montana. So we got to go to like rural places in Idaho where you are staying um, in basically a motel and having shared rooms because there's not enough rooms for everybody in, in, out there. Um, in Alaska, my te- a couple of my team members and I, we got to go and do a glacier tour. tour. We um, 
got off, the project ended early and we couldn't change our flights. It was going to cost us more actually. So we just all pitched in and did that, uh, did, went and did some glaciers. Um, and then in California, we were in California quite a bit. So that was kind of fun because you're driving up and down the beaches and going to Santa Monica and Venice beach and getting to do that. Um, actually got a tattoo on one of my trips in California. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, we've, I've kind of been able to do all sorts of different excursions and things and try to make sure that it's team bonding related as well. It's not just, you know, even, um, when we went to Denver going and doing activities. So it's not just work or hundred percent work, but making sure that you have fun at play. How about you? What other than Singapore? Cause that seems like that's an amazing trip and <laughs> we'll have to dive into that. on one of these. I could talk about Singapore for, for a whole segment. Um, I was also going to say New Orleans, but I feel like that's cheating. Um, in 2016 to 2017, I took 83 work trips to New Orleans. So um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a large part of my life. I feel like I spent almost, uh, I, I was living more there than where my home actually was. Um, but as far as uh, like best work trips or favorite work trips, I had the opportunity. I was, I was just recently, I told you earlier, I was in Vermont this past weekend. And uh, I went to Cooperstown for like two weeks for um, an epic go live way back in like 17. And nothing about this trip in particular, like stands out about the people that I was with or like the activities that we did. But I just remember it was like beautiful time of year. I don't know if you've been to Cooperstown and like the Adirondacks up in upstate New York, but um, just like a really beautiful place. You have the Appalachians and uh, lots of little rivers running around. I like to run. So Every day after this go live, I would just go out and run like up a mountain and back and you'd have like waterfalls in the background. Um, nothing, nothing in particular. That's like that this, this was like the best trip ever. But as I was driving through Vermont and in a similar neighborhood, I was like, wow, this takes me back. Uh, and just like a nice reminder of how work isn't always just work. You get to go to some cool places and build some memories that uh, you maybe experience a little bit later on just when you're living life. Yeah, no, that's awesome. All right, everybody. Well, that brings us to our next section, which is uh, the debate or hot industry trends that we're going to talk about. So normally in this section, um, our guests would be really talking about what are some hot topics that they've experienced or even be bringing us a hot topic outside of um, us just introducing them and going through. But for since it's the two of us, and we are coming through um, not the end of a pandemic, but an, really an industry change for revenue cycle and healthcare IT. Um, we were going to talk about today um, remote versus in-person working and how it's really impacted us as individuals and then also how it's um, really changing in the industry and where people and organizations are struggling on both sides of the coin. So Daniel, what's your thoughts here? Um, I'll, I, I did the segue so you can kick us off. For remote versus in-person work, I was listening to an interesting podcast this weekend. I was bored and I had a five-hour road trip. And something that struck me was that a comment that the, the individual made was that the office is something that's been constructed in like the past 70 years. Um, so when you're thinking about like, what is it that like that we do for work, like work isn't a new concept, work isn't a, uh, something that has magically appeared in the last like decade or two, 
but the concept of an office has and the idea of like having a workplace that you go to uh, I mean since we've had computers and telephones and other types of uh, more like corporate business structures this office has been constructed and I think what we've really gone through this past two years is a deconstruction of this idea of like what is an office what is uh, a workplace and so for me uh, these past two years I actually was working in a hospital so I was going in person um, into an office almost a little bit more than 50% and still working with individuals. But even within the office space, there was still a lot of virtual meetings. We weren't really having meetings in person in our office. Uh, I might have a, a Zoom meeting with the person next door. Uh, and so it's really challenged my idea of like, what is it that uh, I consider a workplace or like, wh what do I consider my office and my, uh, some of that culture and relationships that I've built? Now that I'm working at Wilshire, uh, which has been a newer transition for me, I've, I'm back to fully remote. And that's been both a challenging concept as far as uh, getting to know folks that live across the country that I only see on a screen. Um, but at the same time, I've, I spend a lot of time with these folks and I feel like I know them really well. Um, so that's, that's, been a, that's been kind of the initial thoughts in my mind. But Evan, I'll pass it back to you. And let me ask you a question here. What is it? Like, what's like a habit that you've built that's really helped you thrive in a remote environment? I think the biggest habit I have built is, um, you know, as many people who are like oh, transitioning to Teams or to Skype or, or, or whatnot, is really just making sure I'm staying connected with people. So sending a good morning message, uh, how's your day, trying to build a personal relationship has been really key for me. I'm a huge extrovert. So like an in-person office situation is, uh, or working in, a, in a, at a hospital or in a facility has always been great for me. Like I am, uh, I don't know if you've ever done like Mark Briggs or personalysis, but I'm like an extreme extrovert and, or extreme social on there. So being able to just go and chat and talk through the problems or issues to problem solve has always been one of those big key things for me, but also just a more a good morning and a, how are you doing and a checking in. So that's been the big transition for me is trying to find my people and then also making sure the people that I am connected with that they know I'm here or just sending, hey, how are you doing? And just kind of that quick touch base. I, I, I don't want to lose that relationship or, or lose that component. And then it kind of fulfills that outlet that I need at the same time. But that's been the biggest thing to stay connected is like making sure that I'm going that next step and doing that reach out in the morning. So I'll even come yeah, up with just like random questions just because I'm like, Hey, uh, I want to just say good morning and then be gone. I just like, you know, <laughs> I'm an introvert. So that, that sounds terrifying to me. The idea of like reaching out to someone over teams in the morning to be like, Hey, good morning. How's your cup of coffee? Yeah. Um, <laughs> might've done that in an office space, but, uh, maybe a little bit more terrifying to do over computer. Why? I don't know. Uh, it's just my personality. Do you find that the tools that you have available to you, so thinking Teams, Skype, I don't know, people use like Slack or Discord or other types of tools. Do you find that that's enough for you, that, that other people are willing to engage with you in that? I think some people are. I think the hard, uh, the one thing that I noticed, um, you know, being 100% remote is new for me as well. So I've always been in a hybrid, either in person or a hybrid situation. So um, a couple days a week from home or working from a hotel on the road or, or something of that nature. Never, hey, you get up, go to the same desk at your house every day type of situation till 
Wilshire, but um, I noticed that the big thing is, is doing that connectivity, people will normally respond or get back to you at some point, but it made it a lot easier when, like for our instance, when we were at the retreat, it made it easier for me. I already had a connection to people that I've never actually talked to outside of maybe a Zoom call or um, in that, you know, in that capacity for a longer period of time, but having that pre, hey, how's it going? Or thanks, you know, or shooting them just a question, um, that type of deal did help, I think, for me to be more comfortable in an in-person setting once that opportunity arose. Um, so it, it's funny because I I much rather instead of just sending a good morning message like, hey, can you hop on a call really quick with me and just like have a morning chat? Um, I can think of the last client I was working with. There was one employee in particular, um, although they're only two hours from me and the client's like, in California instead, I, that person every morning just auto set up an 8 a.m. morning check-in with me. And I was like, I don't need to talk to you every morning at eight, but okay. But it was her way of saying, Hey, I need somebody to connect with and just connect for five minutes to get my day going. So it was like her water cooler time. Right. So I was like, okay, well it's fulfilling her need. It's fulfilling one for me come to find out now that I not doing that every day with that person. I'm like, Oh, uh, okay. So now I'm texting them every morning, like hope that you're still doing well, <laughs> that type of deal. But I, I do think that it builds a sense of camaraderie, but you have to break down those, it go non-conventional, right. And come up with new ways of doing what you would do in the office now uh, virtually, or, um, make that commitment to yourself to, to venture out. Yeah. And maybe something else that's been just like piggybacking off of that. So I also have like relationships that I've built with some of my clients and that I, yeah, we have, I have a, I call it a coffee meeting every Friday morning where we, we get coffee and uh, it's not officially that, but we, it's an early morning meeting with coffee and we chat about what's going on with the work week. Uh, but I would say that almost every single meeting I have, especially more so now that I've been remote, you just bake in like five minutes into that agenda just to chat with people and get to know them because you don't have that like walking time that you maybe used to have or the time that you would have in the break room grabbing coffee or water. Um, yeah, it, it, that's just gone. And I, I feel like some of that's missing, but you get a little bit of that over video. One thing though, that's really stood out to me. And I, I know like when we think about like in person versus remote work, especially in our industry, it used to be really common to travel, go on site to clients and get to know people. Um, and so maybe the remote didn't feel as remote because we were going in person maybe once, twice, three times a month. For me personally, that hasn't come back. I haven't made a work trip uh, <laughs> since in the last, like, I don't know how many years. Uh, and I'm, I'm starting to look at it. I'm like, I'm not sure or certain when that's going to be coming back or if it's going to come back. I think with my clients in particular, a lot of their staff now have moved remote and there isn't really a central office to even go to. What does that look like for you as far as thinking about your relationships with this person that you have that 8 a.m. morning meeting with? Uh, do you still get to see them in person? And do you see that coming back? Yeah, I mean, I I think that in person now is a video, right? Like, I think that's our new world. Um, I, I know even a colleague of mine who... Um, another organization they they up and moved in the middle of the pandemic to Arizona their organization allowed them to do that a new new work remote um, concept and 
be part of the pilot and they're in a director position and they have on-site hundred percent on-site teams that will always be on-site. They're over patient access and registration and that workflow, but because there's so many facilities and they were remote a whole lot, you know, they have this weird hybrid once a quarter or once a month, every other month or something that they're coming back on site just to do rounding. But I think it's it it pushes you as a leader or even as an individual to fit, find those new ways. I haven't been on site in a year, um, which is, you know, new for me as well. Um, and even when I was on site, it was more so somebody's there to answer the door, get the mail and that. I mean, it wasn't really, I never, I think in the midst of the pandemic, I had 15, maybe on a good day, 20 people still in the building that had to handle physical cash or physical printing of claims that we, it wasn't outsourced in, in that component. So it, it has changed even my own concept, but I think finding that colleague or finding um a group of colleagues that you do that water cooler, uh, you know, time or morning coffee with, as you were saying, is key in that per, in that regard. So I also think having team bonding time. So just kind of we did, you know, having a team happy hour scheduled. So uh, where it's off work time, but being able to do it remote is it has benefited me, at least um, I still get together with my old team back at my last organization about once a quarter-ish, um, and we just all chat and hop on a call and check in. I apologize. My internet was uh, kind of coming in and out there, so I missed part of it. But that's also another thing that I got to deal with in my remote world. Uh, if your internet cu- cuts out on a call or something, audio doesn't work, <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes it, uh, it, it throws a little, little bit of a wrench in your day-to-day, <laughs> how you're interacting with people. Um, but I did catch the end of that where you were just mentioning that you're you setting aside dedicated time and like de- just dedicated activities to meet up with people and stay in touch. I I haven't done that. that. That's maybe on me. And maybe I'm a little bit lazy that I haven't taken the opportunity to be like, I know that I'm remote full time. I know that I have these people I need to be building relationships with. Spending a little bit of time to think about like, what am I doing to, to be with these people or get to know them better than just work? Because uh, I don't want to be the person they see like, oh, Daniel's screen's on face again. We're going to talk about uh, this new SQL report we're writing. That's that's not fun. I don't want to always just be the the task guy or the project manager on the screen, but someone that they can be like, oh yeah, I was at a hockey game last weekend and it was great. And yeah, I just, it, it's like uh, both encouraging to hear you talk about that, but also know that like, hey, this is uh, convicting for me. I need to spend some time thinking about like, what can I do uh, to make this not just a work base, but someone that they feel comfortable interacting with and talking with. You know, I think one of those things, like when you're initial, right, like we all in person do, uh, we're doing at one point in time, icebreakers at the beginning, but changing up what an icebreaker actually is, it doesn't have to be like, what's your favorite sport? Or if you were a race car, what race car would you be? But it could, it, I mean, an icebreaker just simply is, is like, hey, what's your rose? What's your thorn so far today? Or what did you do yesterday? You know, changing the conversation of what it how to get to know somebody in a larger group or one-on-one. I mean, I even noticed most meetings now, it's not 20, 30 people. It's like five or 10 and talking with five or 10 people about like, what was your day? Or as soon as you get on a call, starting off like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? You know, what, what are you doing? Uh, you know, what did you do last night? Um, did you have a good weekend? That type of deal. 
the next person that gets on the call, 15 minutes into your call, you realize, oh, we got to go do work now. So, and I've noticed that like whoever, whoever initiates the tone or once you get on setting that tone really does change the atmosphere back to an in-person type of atmosphere. I think the other thing, you know, one of the things that I have a hard time doing, and I don't know about you, um, and I'd love your take is in that remote setting, how have you been able to say, you know what, how do I reach out to somebody with a question or um, be able to do that? You know, do you find yourself just defaulting to email or are you using other technology or platforms to be able to get real-time responses or even be able to get answers so that you have that? It's a good thought. I'm pretty old school. I like email. I, <laughs> I am so particular about my email setup and like having all the little hot keys and uh, color coding to make sure that's like perfectly attuned to me. And so whenever I have a question, I default to email, but I've been, I've been challenged. Uh, now that we've gone in the remote world, I have a client that uses Google chat. And now I have Google chat open when I need to talk to these people, because that's the only way they'll respond to me. Uh, and sometimes you got to get out of yourself a little bit to reach out to folks in the way that's best for them. Um, and like, let's be real. There's way too many mediums to talk to people now. I have Google chat. I have teams. I have Skype. I have phone. I like, I'm sure I could do like a little courier pigeon. They're not far away. That's so true. There are too many forms of communication to pick up from. Okay. I think we should take a quick break and then we'll come back and either continue the topic or move into our next segment. The National Association of Healthcare Revenue Integrity, NARI, is holding this 22nd Revenue Integrity Symposium at the Hilton Phoenix Resort at the peak on Monday, September 19th and Tuesday, September 20th. From the Wilshire Group, our team members, Gretchen Case and Mark Wilson, will be in attendance. This is a great chance to connect with them and ask questions in person. See you there. And we're back. Okay, Daniel, you want to continue talking about um, work from home or should we move into the segment called the Wilshire Lab? Let's move to the Wilshire Lab. In the Wilshire Lab, uh, each episode will explore questions submitted by our listeners. And uh, for this week's questions, we have a few from our fellow Wilshire Group peers. Um, so I'll start us out uh, and let me know your thoughts. So for our first question here, how do you recommend setting up pricing for bilateral procedures using Epic? Should the modifier 50 increase charges by 50 or 100%? And do you build that into the modifier or into the fee schedule? Wow, I guess we're going to go right into revenue integrity to my specialty. Okay, so I think it really depends upon the organization and what's their philosophy around pricing. And that's really what's going to drive it. Um, the price itself, going back to an organization's policy, is really what would dictate, in my mind, whether you're going to load something into a fee schedule or you're going to leverage, um, in this case, on an Epic platform, a router build. I'm accustomed to leveraging the router. So um, typically uh, we would append a 50 on the charge line and then at the time of service. And then when it hits the charge router, it would take the standard price and know to increase the price. Um, from the pricing perspective, if I um, understand the question correctly, you know, are we doing it one and a half times or double, that really goes back to what's the philosophy of that organization. I've seen it done both ways. Um, it's a little 
easier just to double it in the mathematical sense. Um, however, you know, what I would normally tell an organization is really think about it from a patient's perspective. So the patient, you know, if we're looking at a bilateral like radiology code or, um, it, for example, a hip, uh, um, hip bilateral with pelvis, um, you're really looking at it from that perspective of saying, okay, well, the patient's already on the table. You've already set them up. You've maybe already gave them some form of anesthesia or contrast and injected two contra contrast into both sides of the hip. So your prep time has already been done for your second image there. Um, so really charging for, and, and it didn't take that much more time than doing the first. It's not like the patient left and came back where it would be too two distinct setups and components. So in that case, a lot of organizations I've seen go one and a half. However, some are like, nope, we're just gonna keep it simple. We're occupying the space um, and the time. So we're gonna double it. But that really goes back to charging philosophy of that organization. It's not, there is no regulation that drives how you should be pricing your bilateral procedures. Now for the setup, I really do think that it should come down to making sure that you are leveraging the system to do the work. And I wouldn't load it into a fee schedule because that means you're loading the code twice in there and one and it's looking for a modifier. Where if you leverage the router, um, and in some cases you might even need to leverage router logic to strip the modifier. So there are specific codes where it's a unilateral and bilateral as a single CPT, which says that you can't, you shouldn't be increasing when it's bilateral. A modifier 50 shouldn't be appended. So in that case, really, um, you would want your router to catch those, strip the 50, and make sure that no additional dollar was put on. Now, that's a little bit more unique build. Um, and what I would say is if you're interested in that and you're listening to today's podcast, uh, go ahead and send us um, a question or an inquiry to WilshirePod. Um, cast at the wilshiregroup.net. That way we can get it over to um, our router and claims um, team member who could give you guys a little bit more explanation of what are your options there. Um, and if you are an Epic client, we recommend that you reach out to your Epic TS and your IT team um, directly. But that is potential options. Now, if you're listening to us and you're talking about a different system or platform, um, think about it and think about what your tools or solutions are doing. Not all of the industry's revenue cycle products that interface with clinical systems have the same capability of um, removing or appending modifiers as they're filing through their um, foundational systems. However, um, what we do, what I would recommend from a revenue integrity leadership standpoint is making sure that you do have edits for those unilateral and bilateral joint CPT codes that if a modifier is appended that is a 50 or a left-right um, that you are initially with your build at implementation doing a comprehensive review or if you're making a major change to your charge master that you would have the, an edit stop those for your revenue integrity team to take a look at. Um, that's kind of what I have to offer on that um, kind of question in that regard. Hopefully that's helpful for you guys. Um, in addition, we get uh, we did get some other questions, but we didn't know the answers to them. So 
what we want to encourage you guys as um, listeners is if you do have a question, um, we will take it to our host of experts here at the Wilshire Group, whether it's an IT related revenue cycle question or if it's a direct operations question for best practice, we'll pass it through our team um, first for them to screen it and look at potential solutions or what is their recommendation or what is national best practice out there. And then we'll share those answers here on the pod. If you don't get a response to your question initially, it's either because we're still researching it or we, and if it doesn't make it on an episode, we will make sure that we do have one of us respond to you as well um, with guidance or what our peers have provided for feedback. So that really um, wraps up this episode. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed it and you get a, got a little flavor of what we're going to present for you guys on um, Wilshire Wednesdays. I think we have some exciting uh, podcast ideas coming up as well. Something to stay tuned for. We're going to start featuring some other members of our team and make sure to check back in for, for more content on that. If you like today's episode, continue to join Wilshire Wednesdays. You can follow us on LinkedIn or find us on Twitter at Evan underscore Wilshire. Daniel can be found at Daniel underscore TWG. The Wilshire Group is at TWG Health. For us on Facebook at the Wilshire Group or on our Instagram at Wilshire IT Revcast. Remember, if you prefer to watch, come check us out on YouTube at the Wilshire IT Revcast YouTube channel. If you have an inquiry, want to share your thoughts, or get additional information on a topic, email us at the Wilshire Podcast at the Wilshire The best way for you to support this podcast is to rate, review, and subscribe. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. The Wilshire IT Revcast is hosted, produced, and engineered by Evan Martin and Daniel Bianchini. It is executive produced by Gretchen Case, Hank Smither, and Spencer Thielman. The Wilshire Group, experience you can trust, results you can count on.